Hi, this is Joe Hackman with the Manufacturing Advocates Podcast. Today I'm in Fresno, California, and I'm speaking with Mike Betts and Mike Dozier. And I'm going to call for our purposes today, I'm going to call Mike Dozier Mike D, just to keep this uh, a little bit easier to understand. So, Mike, why don't we start with you, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, thanks, Joe. Um, My name is Mike Betts, and I'm the chairman and CEO of Betts Company. Uh, We're a manufacturer first and foremost. We're a sixth-generation manufacturing firm founded in San Francisco, California. Uh, We're celebrating our 140th ninth year, and we're uh, uh, planning and getting ready for a great celebration next year to celebrate our 150th year in business. Um, I've served the company in you know multitude of uh, positions, and uh, I'm proud to say that recently, uh, in the last uh, year and a half, my uh, son became our new president. So I'm really excited that uh, our sixth generation leadership is in place, uh, you know, to take our company forward for another uh, 30 plus 40 years. Um, Betts, uh, like I mentioned, is first and foremost a manufacturing company. Uh, That was our lifeblood in 1868. My great-great-grandfather came over from England and um, founded the very first spring plant west of the Mississippi River, uh, lo and behold, in San Francisco, uh, right after the Civil War. Mm. And his products were really for the carriage industry because there were no cars, trucks, or anything like that. And we made leaf springs for carriages. And over the years, you know, we continued to grow and diversify. And so now we have three operating divisions, Bet Spring Manufacturing, hmm. that manufactures springs for just about anything and everything. Our primary markets, though, the bulk of the market is um, automotive suspension, probably being the first and largest market. Uh, then all the other markets that you can think of, rail, aerospace, heavy truck, Uh, industrial valves, agricultural valves, um, anything and everything uh, that is mechanical um, can use a spring sometimes or another. In our spring plant, we also manufacture stampings of all types. So a lot of metal stampings for uh, various applications as well. Our second division is Betts Truck Parts and Service, and we have eight locations in the West, in California, Arizona, and Oregon. And at Betts Truck Parts and Service, we service all makes of trucks, which is unusual. You know, Peterbilt's, Kenworth's, you name it, Mack, Volvo, International. We service them all. Uh, we have service locations at seven of our eight locations, and we carry uh, all the name brand parts to service those trucks. Our third division is Betts Heavy Duty, Betts HD. It's a Betts brand that is well-known in North America and around the world. And we manufacture uh, patented products that we've developed over the years for safety uh, on trucks, Hmm. primarily five, six, seven, and eight class trucks. And these are mud flap holders of all types. We have about 100 uh, different types of mud flap holders, bar bar types, spring-loaded types, conspicuity solutions, which are, you know, for you to go, when you're going up and down the highway, you can actually see the truck at night. It's illuminated, illuminated products. And then fenders of all types, so plastic, uh, stainless steel, aluminum, corrugated, uh, you name it, we manufacture all different types of fenders in that division. We have distribution uh, all over the world. Uh, Largest uh, uh, part of our business, though, is in North America. Right. Mike D? Well, 
My name is Mike Dozier, and I am the Executive Director of the Office of Community and Economic Development at Fresno State. And I've known Mike Betts for four years now, and I just got a, a, a lesson in what his business does. So I've benefited as much from this podcast as, as your listeners are going to. Uh, the uh, OSED, as it's called, Office of Community and Economic Development at Fresno State, uh, acts as a resource for a number of different uh, categories. I've spent uh, the last 30-some years in economic development at both the uh, city level and now at the state level, uh, doing as a practitioner, understanding uh, what businesses need, uh, how to facilitate businesses, uh, and a lot of times, especially in government, the best thing you can do is get out of the way. Uh, you provide the, uh, the, the resources that they need, uh, and then you try to clear the way. So uh, I sometimes feel like an offensive lineman in blocking uh, for the uh, running back that is the business. And that's the way I've looked at it my whole life. But our office is, does more than economic development. We do a lot of community development. But basically, we're, we're there as a facilitator, as a, as a connector, a collaborator, and, uh, and an advocate for all things San Joaquin Valley. Great. So I recently got a pretty incredible uh, announcement, and I, I think it was forwarded. I think you sent it to me, Mike D., but it was regarding the San Joaquin Valley Manufacturers Association reaching a 500-member milestone. So, why don't, um, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about the San Joaquin Valley, or the SJVMA? SJVMA? Yeah. The, the AHO stands for alliance. And, and that word's really kind of important because that's really truly what we are. Uh, what makes our SJVMA, uh, I believe, remarkable is that we have all of our education partners at the high school, community college, and university level involved. We have all of our government partners, you know, with the workforce development, with uh, all the city governments, uh, the state, and federal. Uh, we're involved with, you know, all the state associations around manufacturing, and as well with the NAM uh, in Washington, D.C. And then we have all of our industry partners, and it's not just the manufacturers, which are our lifeblood, really, but it's all the people that support us. Because without our supply base here, the guy that sells us the forklifts, the guys that sells us the nuts and bolts and the boxes that helps us with marketing materials, it's all of that. It's the whole entire supply base, our partners in our alliance. And then with everything we do, our three quarterly meetings and our manufacturing summit, which is on April 20. 20th, uh, 2017, we have students at each level involved. Mm -hmm. And we scholarship students to come that are resume ready to meet our manufacturers, you know, for summer internships and potentially a job. Mm -hmm. So that level of collaboration and bringing all those people on board and making them feel valued and part of who we are has really been uh, what I view as a game changer for our success. It's a big component to it. At what point, because I know it's, it's interesting, there's a lot of people who are eager, and I think there's a growing number of people right now who are starting to recognize the importance of manufacturing for the U.S. economy. It's 
internationally, maybe I'll might maybe think think about it for a minute about what you might say about the importance economics-wise of manufacturing. But back to you um, regarding just how you ramped up and you were able to get the support. Did you find that there was a tipping point where you were being sought out more by other organizations that want to be a part of it? Where initially was it more of a struggle to get it going? At what point did you feel? I just want to. Well, I'll give you a little context. The reason I'm asking this question is I know that there might be somebody else listening to this down the road thinking, man, you know, it would be great to have something like that here. We've just been trying. We've been beating our head against the wall just to give them hope that, okay, when when we reach this point, that's when things really took off. So right. give me a little of the background on that and how it evolved. Yeah. Well, you know, it was really uh, the Office of Community and Economic Development where the we call them clusters, existed. And so there was a manufacturing, an ag, a water, and an energy cluster, each independent of one another. And um, Mike Dozier and his team uh, had people that uh, from industry and others at the university or elsewhere that helped lead the charge in each one of those. Mike had asked me probably four years ago if I would come and help out with the manufacturing cluster. And we did, we spent a lot of time together and we brought people on board to help us try to grow it. And we recognized that, you know, we weren't really industry led. People weren't viewing us as industry led. We, they might've even viewed us more as government, you know, mm -hmm. underneath the Office of Community and Economic Development. Who are they? Mm -hmm. And so we really didn't have a name. You know, we were just the manufacturing cluster underneath the OSED. So we started to have strategy sessions and such instead of vision. And our vision, uh, we determined, is to be the premier location for manufacturing in the USA. That's our vision. Our mission is through collaboration and partnership to create a globally competitive manufacturing environment. I mean, people think, oh my goodness, you can do that in California? <laughs> well, that's what, we're, that's what we're going to do. Hmm. And we're going to do that because we have 700, excuse me, 1,750 manufacturers in the Central Valley of California. Imagine that. Wow. And people don't understand that we are the largest, when you, when you add it all up, with all the food and beverage and the ag manufacturing and traditional durable goods manufacturing, we are clearly the largest employer in the entire Central Valley. Hmm. And so by coming together, we're bringing all these organizations together, these businesses in the supply side, and we're giving everybody a voice at the state level and the federal level of you know what's important to us, what what do we need here, mm -hmm. and so it really was you know that beginning at OSED and having them uh, you know help get us started. They they really laid the foundation, and then you know gave us the motivation. Really, it was it was their uh, impetus and, and 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 efforts that gave us the motivation to you know get involved, mm. and so I'm I'm proud to you know chair this organization right now. We have a leadership team of about eight people, and each person carries a lot of weight. Uh, it's a totally collaborative teamwork environment. And uh, I got to say, each one of our leaders on our team uh, is equally as passionate as Mike Dozier and myself about building this organization into something that we can uh, be very, very proud of. Yeah, do you mind doing just a quick roll call? And I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, of your the other... Uh, folks that are in your leadership team there? 
Yeah, so our, our vice chair is Lonnie Petty. Lonnie is the, the uh, CEO of a great company here in Fresno called Strategic Mechanical. Uh, and it's just a fantastic company. He works with a lot of our ag producers here, uh, food and beverage companies, other manufacturers for, you know, keeping all their equipment up and running and their boilers and you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, our, um, our director, uh, we actually have one full-time employee, mm. and uh, he came on board. It's going to be almost a year, right around uh, our summit. Uh, his name is Sam Guile. And Sam uh, has great industry experience and background. He worked with um, Grunfuss Corporation, who is a big valve and pump manufacturer, a world uh, company out of uh, Denmark with uh, their North American headquarters right here in Fresno, large manufacturing facilities. And then Sam also uh, has a consulting business and came from a, his own family business, which uh, was a janitorial um uh, service business and a security guard business. Hmm. So Sam brings, you know, a lot of passion, a lot of knowledge to our team. And Sam's out there knocking on doors each and every day, uh, letting people know about us. And right now he's getting more calls than he can, uh, you know, get out to because uh, people are hearing about us in a big, big way. Uh, We started out uh, with just Fresno and Madera counties, and now we have people calling us in our whole eight-county area. Wow. So, uh, you know, anybody is welcome to partake in our eight-county area. Um, if folks want to come to the summit on April 20th and they're outside the area, they can still come to that, too. I, I know we'll be talking about that shortly. But um, also on our team is uh, Deborah Nankaville. Deborah's the CEO of the Fresno Business Council, and the Fresno Business Council is a uh, really an important organization to our community. It's been around for uh, 20 plus years. And Deborah's been our CEO there for 20 years. And uh, the Business Council really uh, deals with um, things in our community that are gonna enhance and grow our economic vitality. Mm -hmm. And uh, also very much in the education platform, which is an area that we focus on in our alliance uh, with a great deal. Uh, Gurminder Sanja, Uh, Gurminder is, a DSN. DSN stands for Deputy Sector Navigator with the state of California. His responsibility is to work with our manufacturers uh, and our community colleges and connecting our manufacturers to our community college manufacturing programs. He's helping us work with the programs, getting people on advisory councils in the manufacturing programs there Mm -hmm. to help enhance the curriculum, improve upon the curriculum, and uh, make sure that uh, we're keeping Uh, the education community uh, well-informed on what we're looking for today Mm -hmm. in the curriculum. What's important because it's always changing, especially, you know, with robotics and PLC and and 3D printing and all these new, more advanced technologies that are, uh, you know, we're having to deal with on a daily basis. So uh, G has been amazing. Uh, Troy Brandt, a great guy um, with a local uh, uh, hydraulics company, um, right here, and Troy uh, is uh, the managing director of that company here located in Fresno. They have multiple locations around the country, and Troy's job is to connect with our high school students. Hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Mike, who else do we have on? Kathy. Kathy Bray of Denham Resources. Uh, Kathy uh, is a gem. She has been here in this community 
uh, you know, for a long time and knows everybody and everybody knows Kathy. And Kathy has a passion for education and manufacturing and just business, uh, you know, business, having a vital business community. So, you know, we have a pretty diverse cross-section of folks on our team. Student, the student rep? Yeah, Valerie uh, from Edison High School. Uh, Valerie is amazing. Um, she joined our team and boy, I mean, what she brought to the party was just amazing. Hearing it, you know, from a 17 year old's perspective, sitting around our strategy sessions, um, you know, everybody's ears are wide open mm. and just really enjoying uh, her input. And then of course, Mike Dozier is our, uh, is in charge of our uh, legislative agenda and okay. helps us, uh, you know, reach out to Washington and Sacramento. And that's something that uh, all of this, uh, Joe, is a work in progress. And we're, you know, right now figuring out, well, what does that mean? And, you know, which, which things are we going to be addressing? And, you know, what is our legislative agenda going to look like? But that's going to come from us talking to our manufacturers and, mm -hmm. and surveying them and making sure that, you know, we voice what everybody feels we need. We've been talking a lot about, you know, I call them the top three, and that's energy, you know, our energy costs are too high here in California. They're not competitive with other states and other countries. Mm -hmm. Our workers' comp is, has been broken for 30-plus years. It's out of control. Um, it's, it has too, too many uh, onerous, uh, very punitive, uh, you know, things involved with it that make it impossible for companies to actually do the best job they can in managing it. And then, uh, you know, uh, education is, uh, you know, really, really critical. Um, you know, what are we doing in our schools? Is the curriculum, are they investing hard dollars uh, and the right people to, you know, run the classrooms for CTE, career and technical education at all levels? And when we talk about CTE, we're talking about engineering as well. Mm -hmm. We're talking about mathematics. We're talking about marketing and advertising. But we're also talking about machining, maintenance mechanics, you know, all of that. And uh, I'm really uh, quite pleased with what we've discovered over the last year and a half, two years on, you know, what we actually have here in our inventory is pretty darn good. Hmm. And I'm, I think we're all really pleased, our team is, with the level of acceptance and interest from our education community and our involvement and trying to help them take it to the next level. Right. Okay, you asked the question that people in other areas are banging their heads against the wall. I can tell you that I've banged my head against the <laughs> wall so many times that, well, I don't have any hair left. And um, you can, as, a, as an economic developer or as a university, a community college, a, a WIB, uh, any of those different entities, they can do everything right. They can, they can follow the process, everything else. There's, there's really only one reason that this has been successful. And that really comes back to Mike, Bray, Mike Betts. Uh, Mike, uh, and, and you can tell by, by listening to him, uh, I was really quite impressed by the fact that he could name off the board um, that, and, and give you such an elaborate uh, description of who they are and what they do. But really, and, and this isn't, we're, we're sitting here complimenting each other, but frankly, Anything that we did at OSED, at Fresno State, uh, was just going to be an exercise like anybody else did 
throughout the throughout the state, the region, whatever. I have colleagues everywhere that are do, trying to do the same thing, not only region-wide, statewide, and, and nationally. And it really comes back to being private sector-led. Mm. So how do you get the private sector to lead it? They, they're busy people. You know, they're, they're, they're making a profit. They're, they're not sitting around and how can we make, how can we go to this meeting or that meeting? How can we put this together or how we, can we put that together? They're looking at their business. You know, mm-hmm. the, the meeting part of it, that's what people like, like, like myself do. So it's really difficult. And so what Mike's done is he's going out and, and, and talked to all these, these industry leaders, these businesses, brought them into the fold. I sometimes think that he, that he has something on them somehow <laughs> or another. I, I, I think it's been extortion in some ways. But uh, it, you just can't do it unless you have the industry involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a process that I come to industry and I say, I'm here to help. And they look at me and go, well, what do you know about me? And the answer is not very much. Uh, but if, if you can assemble all these, this private sector, all these businesses, suppliers and everything else in, in one location, one platform, the other, the service providers, the nonprofits, the governmental agencies, they're going to come to the table because they really want to help the industry. Mm-hmm. And the, the issue has been that the industry hasn't been, uh, hasn't, hasn't coalesced to where they can have dialogue. And so you have this platform where they've come together, they've expressed what it is that they need, as, as you heard Mike talking about, the three, the big three. And then you have these service providers on the other end going, we're, we're with you, whatever mm-hmm. we can do. And, and the other thing is, is each one of these different entities, these, these service sectors, they're set up to provide as much resources as possible for the private sector. And if you don't have the private sector on board in one location to, to speak with one voice, then what you have is you have the community colleges going and visiting their, their private sector. You have the WIBs going and visiting their private sector. And so everybody's visiting the private sector. And so what happens is you, you have a number of willing private sector that want to talk and meet with these people, but you know, they're inundated with meetings. And in this case, they come to a quarterly meeting. They, we have surveys. We, it's a, it's a, it's a respected organization from the private sector side. And so, all those people that are beating their heads against the wall, they need to do their part, but they also need to find somebody like Mike Betts on the other side mm-hmm. that's willing to take that. And and quite frankly, I think it's more than a Mike Betts. I think it's probably about five. To ten Mike bets. It's just here in Fresno. It was Mike, and and Mike, Mike was doing uh, everything through the Fresno Business Council. And I sit on the Fresno Business Council uh, as well, but I'm not as active as as Mike is. I'm over on the other side, and so what he's done to be able to bring everybody together is just, it's 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 invaluable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just quite invaluable. And so all these people, you tell them, find, find you a, uh, a private sector champion and then go from there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the man that inspired me really to start this podcast was, and he also inspired me to come up with the term difference makers, uh, was Bill Gaines. And he, he is in a similar position, private sector led, 
you know, they have a lot of support. There's, they have some really good co-collaborators, but it, it was Bill's uh, drive and, you know, his desire to make something happen that really got things going. And when I observed what he was doing, then I said, oh, I have to do this podcast because I have to interview Bill and he's got to be the first, well, he's got to be the first person on the podcast. And then, you know, here we're, we're recording episode nine and we've got a couple guys named Mike here that have done some pretty phenomenal work here in, in the area. So, of course, very appreciative of that. Um, Mike, do, uh, do you mind talking a little bit about the economics of manufacturing? Uh, I always ask questions about that because I think that's one of the areas with the general public that we need to um, come up with more creative ways to explain the importance of manufacturing. Uh, How about an easy way to understand? Please. It? Okay. When you when you build a product, you develop a product, and you sell that product outside of your region, and your your headquarters is here in Fresno, and you sell it in L.A., you sell it in San Francisco, what you're doing is bringing new dollars into the region. And th those new dollars spin off to service industries, so your doctors, your retailers, your, your lawyers, uh, whomever, uh, that are go they're living off of that those new dollars that come in. The way that the way that I the, the the best way that I can visualize it, you know the money booths. You know you go to a casino and there's money booths and somebody goes into the money booth and they they have thirty seconds to pull as much money as they can. It, it's floating up in the air. Okay, the second guy comes in, he does it, there's less money to, to deal with. The third guy comes in, by the time the fifth guy comes in, if you don't put new money into it, there's a dollar bill floating around. And so that's the way manufacturing is. And, and the service industry cannot sustain a region. It just can't. Hmm. Um, it, it's got to be something that is sold outside of the region to bring new dollars back in. Uh, the Silicon Valley is a little different in that you know, it's information driven and, and you can you can maybe uh, identify it as service. I don't. And I, it's not really manufacturing either. It's it's ideas in a lot of ways. But they're selling the products. Those ideas are selling them outside of that area. And so those new dollars are coming back in. And so that's I mean, that's the importance of of the manufacturing sector. I, I think it, it may be it may be the only one that really generates any kind of, of wealth uh, or economic vitality for a region. We're an agrarian community, uh, an agrarian region. The only problem with the agrarian region, if you don't add value to the agriculture, is you, you're selling your product, you're, you're selling your goods outside, and the value of those goods aren't necessarily, at, well, and a lot of times they're not, as uh, as as much of a value as as the manufacturing side, what we'd like to see is more uh, more of a value added here in the valley. If, if we can get um, industry businesses, uh, whatever I mean, as as simple as somebody uh, developing a gift basket that that's that's done here, sold outside of the region then our agrarian region will have more economic vitality than just selling 
almonds to China. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that we've looked at, and there's a lot of almonds, matter of fact, I think there's 95% of the almonds in the world uh, are grown right here. And a lot of times there's, they sit in the hull of a ship, go over to Asia, they get over to Asia and they add the value to it. You know, they chop them up, they slice them, they do whatever, they put them in packages and they come back and sell them to us for three times what we've sent to them. Hmm. So that's, that's the value added part. If we can get more value added and more of a supply chain, uh, then, then we're going to be a lot better off. So it, it, it's, it's selling products outside, bringing new money inside that can circulate. You know, I, I had heard um, that the uh, processing was where a, a large portion of the profit was in agriculture, was in the actual food processing. So that's very it, consistent. So they're essentially buying the raw product and it is and, and earning the majority of the profit. And what we're seeing a lot of times is, um, you know, there's a there's a ketchup manufacturer in in Colorado, and we send them our our tomatoes. Why isn't it here? Hmm. It's a good question. Somebody's probably maybe there's some student sitting over there at uh, Fresno thinking, hmm, maybe I should start a ketchup processing and manufacturing company here. You certainly have a lot of support in the community. You could become a part of the alliance and get a lot of help. So it's so you guys are doing some excellent work. Um, I'm curious, and, and we have alluded to the fact that there are some challenges here in the area. Currently, what are, uh, so this question is for Mike, uh, Mike Betts, what are some of the things that you're you guys uh, struggle with here and um, what can we do about it and you're referring to here at bats yeah just here or, or your your fellow your members, your members okay. just more gen it could be general or it could be specific i just trying to get a feel for sure the greater challenges here yeah i mean I'm, I'm a huge advocate for you know solar and you know this comments around energy but really, when you think about manufacturing, one of the things that, you know, if you have a lot of machinery and you're making a lot of things, you use a lot of energy. And so when you go in to put a solar installation, it's generally not big enough to handle what it is you need. And so we really don't, for sure, for sure, right now, have our, all of our ener energy solutions um, clearly lined out. And that's one of our big, big priorities at the Alliance, the SJVMA, is we're working with energy providers. We're working with, you know, we're looking at cogen facilities. I remember uh, being up in the north area where uh, Bill Gaines is up in Chico and going by a plastic bag manufacturer that I think Bill introduced me to that was 100% cogen with urea back, that was like 15 years ago, hmm. right, before we, we came down here to the valley. And those folks seem to be pretty pleased with what they're doing. I don't know their total energy usage, but it's a big deal. You know, mm -hmm. energy is very expensive here, mm. and we need to get our arms around it, and we need our legislators really to be passionate about uh, helping us reduce the cost of energy for our manufacturers and put us in a competitive uh, you know, light with uh, states like Texas and Oklahoma, because come on, let's be honest. Uh, so many companies have left California for those other states because of the lower cost. They don't mm -hmm. have state tax, you know, uh, income tax. They they have you know really low energy costs. So, you know, we want 
this valley to be the place for people to manufacture. And there's some basic things that we need to attend to, and that energy is one. We believe workers' comp reform is the other. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, real true reform. Uh, let's just take all the complexity and get rid of it. And let's simplify the system because anytime you put so darn much bureaucracy into something, the costs just go up, 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 and away. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really made our workers' comp system one of the, you know, worst in the nation. And then, you know, when we look at education, that's the game changer because mm -hmm. right now we believe in our region that our CTE programs are the best tool in our EDC's toolbox. People that uh, we have training programs for manufacturing that are uh, best in the world right here in Fresno and at our high school level, our community college, and our universities. And what we learned, our, our, our leadership team and I learned, was very few of our manufacturers were familiar with what we have. Mm. And so it's our job to make them familiar and aware. And we're building a, a website. It's going to go up here shortly. It's been a, a work in progress for about three years. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, it's called the E3 Network. And any employer will be able to go to the E3 Network and see what kind of training programs are available in their proximity. And uh, we're going to have a blog there you know, where there's going to be testimonials from manufacturers about the quality of those programs. And, Joe, we're not shy about telling people which programs we really like okay. and why we like them. And we're not going to you know, knock down other programs but we're gonna really highlight the programs that are world-class and encourage the other programs to kind of reach for the stars as well. Kind of like raising kids, you focus on the encouragement when they're doing the right things. Correct. You know, when Mike was talking about um, the energy costs and talking about uh, the Chico area, I had been up to Chico and went to Sierra Nevada Brewery and I was impressed with the fact that that is a, a totally sustainable brewery with, with they, they have two or three energy sources. Um, they, they recycle their water. Uh, hopefully they're not recycling it into the beer, but uh, they are recycling it to the point. Um, and, and just about everything is grown around the plant. Uh, the only thing that I understand that they bring in is they bring in some hops from Canada. And that's it. And uh, totally sustainable, uh, state-of-the-art. It's one of those things that maybe we should take a, a road trip up and, and, and see what it is that they've done. But I've been there, and it's, uh, it's quite impressive. The other thing that Mike said that uh, I think is really important is the lot, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of businesses are leaving things on the table. You know, one of the things was the ETP program. There's a lot of businesses that don't know that they're paying into the ETP mm -hmm. and, and that, that those funds are there to train their existing employees or new employees as long as they have a job when they're done. And so they don't have to, they don't have to do those, those uh, uh, they don't have to pay those costs. The other thing is, is some of the tax rebates, uh, some of the tax credits, that they're right there and, and, and they're just not looking at them. Mm. And, and a lot of that has to do with that being at the table is one, getting the information from all these different sources as, as to how they can take advantage of it. And one of the things that we're looking at now is the alternative energy and how can we, how can we bring some of these, uh, the, these service providers and energy 
to the table to assist manufacturers so that we can address that energy cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it may not all be solar. It may be some, some cogen, uh, as long as it's in our area, the cogen can't uh, emit NOx um, into the area. I mean, that's, that's another thing. But we've been working with the Air Board on, on try to, trying to get that taken care of. And, and a lot of farms, we're working with a farm right now here in the Fresno area, that's a uh, a zero net uh, zero net energy farm. Mm. So everything's going to be sustainable within that. It's a pilot program with the California Energy uh, Commission uh, or commission. Yeah, commission. Um, they are they're they're funding that to a million dollars so that that can be a pilot so that other other farms uh, in the area can start picking that up as well. And they have two or three energy sources. And so all of this stuff can be rep- replicable, but industry needs to know about it. And mm-hmm. this platform allows them to know about it. That's great. So it's, it's interesting, as, as usual, a lot of the conversation has ended up touching on leadership. And... Part of leadership is simplifying things that maybe there's a lot of interest. And maybe the reason a lot of our things are so complicated is because we try to please everybody. And sometimes you can't please everybody. Sometimes you get as many people as you possibly can involved in the conversation, so you're considering the needs of many. And then you make decisions that are not always going to make everybody happy, but at least they're not going to create unnecessary burden on our businesses and things like that. So, um, yeah, I just, um, one of the things I got to thinking about when you guys were mentioning those leadership issues is I thought of something you were saying before we even hit the record button when you were talking about city leadership versus, you know, state and beyond and things like that. And how, how do you bring, how can you bring that simpler way, uh, and you also had given an example. But I want I want you to talk a little bit about what you were talking about with uh, some of our past leaders and the approach that they used and how that might be relevant today in a, a direction we should be encouraging people to go. Well, I, the only true form of government is local government. You're accessible to your council member. You know your mayor. You, you, you'll see him in the grocery store. You have the ability to attend council meetings, and, and there's the public comment period. And so if you have an active community that, that is uh, having conversation with the council and they're, they're uh, receptive to those comments, then a lot of these things can take place. I, I, one of the things, I, I've spent 17 years with the city of Clovis, and the city of Clovis did an outstanding, still does an outstanding job of, of uh, community engagement. Whenever they, they would set goals every two years, we would set goals every two years. The council would be in, in the, the goal setting, and they would each invite five community members. And then staff would be in it. And they, we would sit in tables, and we'd get the, uh, the markers out and identify certain things. And when we came out of it, we had some goals that the community wanted to see. Mm. Same thing happened with economic development strategy. We brought representatives from all sectors of the community. We taught them what economic development tools are, what can be done, what can't be done, why things take place, become 
become realistic with what they're going to attract uh, to your community based on your strengths, opportunities, and threats. And so when you do all those things, you, you, you concentrate on the things that you're good at and you, you stop looking at the things that you're not going to get. If those things come, that's fine. Uh, you identify three or four targeted industries that you're going to focus on and they're going to try to attract those industries because they meet your community. They meet the DNA of that community. If you can do that and you can have your community identify that in a strategy, then something comes in that's with that strategy and, and you have other parts of the community that will come out and say, no, we don't want that here. Then you have that, 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 that advisory committee to the economic development strategy coming back, no, that's exactly what we, we mm -hmm. want here. Mm -hmm. And so they have, they, they have the, the staff's back, they have the, the council's back, and so the, mm. the people that just want to, you know, there's, there's always going to be people that are going to complain about something. They're, they're not going to want something in their community, yeah. even though it's going to be the best for their community. And you can neutralize them by having this community-based goal setting, community-based strategy. Uh, and, and the other thing is, is that you just, you don't have to, you, know, you don't have to worry about what it is that you're doing. Uh, and, and the result of that is that the city of Clovis hasn't had a council election in eight years. This year is the first time in eight years because nobody would run against them. Hmm. There was no reason. Right. And they so were. communities can do that. I mean, it's, it's really not that difficult to do. You just have to be willing to hear what it is that the mm -hmm. community wants. Um, and so I think that, that if you want leadership, that's the type of leadership that you want. You, wanna, you want a city uh, that's going to respond to what the community wants. You're going to have to identify what it is that, that is realistic for your community. City of Clovis is never going to get an, uh, in Nordstrom's. So you're not going to have people come in, oh, we want a Nordstrom's, we want a Nordstrom's. And it's like, no, you're not going to get a Nordstrom's. Uh, you might get a Nordstrom's rack, um, but, you know, it, it's all, it, once they understand retail and, and demographics and once they understand manufacturing and what's going to come here and, and that the lifeblood of manufacturing is workforce. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, the mistakes that I made when I was working there is that, I, I helped develop this research and technology business park with the thought that we were going to be this catcher in the rye from all the businesses from the Silicon Valley that couldn't afford to be in the Silicon Valley and they would come to Clovis. Well, it wasn't that easy because the people that were coming over here needed a workforce. Mm. Um, and, you know, the workforce wasn't going to come here and let, it's a catch 22 and that whole thing. And so, you know, you look at things like that and, and you start to understand why things happen or don't happen. You can change it. That doesn't, you know, because you're this way now doesn't mean in 10 years you can't be another way. It's just you have to be realistic and address it in a slow process. It just doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very slow. And then one day you're going to look at it and it's going to happen and everybody will say, what happened overnight? You know, it's like anything else. You, you look at, you look at somebody that's successful in the entertainment business and oh, they're an overnight success. Well, nobody looks at the fact that they, they practiced and did everything for 10 years to get to that point. And yeah. so for instance, the research and technology business park right now is going to be the home of some medical, uh, they're going to be a pharmacy college there. There's going to be an osteopathic uh, college there. 
And so that wasn't something that we envisioned at that point, but because uh, of some other things that took place, it became the perfect place for it. So you have to, you have to develop your canvas first. And then once you develop your canvas, somebody's going to come around and paint it. Ah, that's great. I, I love that, um, that overnight success kind of thing. It's, it's always so funny to hear. And then, and then you hear about, you know, a business that survived the Great Depression and a couple other things, and you go, oh, that's pretty neat, too. So um, let's, uh, let's talk about the summit. The, that summit is a big deal. We hear about it in Northern California, you know, farther up the valley here, a couple hundred miles away. People know about it. They know it's a big deal. So um, let's want to talk a little bit about the summit, Mike. Tell, sure. tell us a little bit about your involvement in that. Yeah, so, um, you know, we meet four times a year, our manufacturing alliance, and we have uh, three quarterly meetings, and we have our summit. Again, our summit's April 20th, 2017. It'll be at the Fresno Convention Center. Um, we've doubled in size over last year. Uh, this is going to be our third year, so uh, we've taken a, the largest space they have over there. We're expecting uh, over 1,000 people, and... Um, we have right now, I think, closing in on 72 uh, exhibitors. Uh, these are folks that have products that they uh, sell locally uh, and then also service providers. Uh, they sell in the community and outside the community. So, for example, our company will have a booth showing, you know, the things that we manufacture that, uh, you know, kind of a lot of business-to-business type trade. Mm -hmm. But we started this out with a vision of, you know, adding value to our manufacturers. And what was it? where they would really appreciate. Uh, and we have 23 breakouts this year, hmm. uh, dealing with everything from advanced robotics. Some folks may not know that uh, there's actually an OSHA ruling, if you can believe this, that's in favor of manufacturing recently, where uh, there's new technology which allows a robot and a human to physically interact with one another on the exchange of a product. So we're going to actually have that technology there where people may see it for maybe the first time. Oh. And uh, we're you know, introducing the latest, most advanced techniques for our manufacturing businesses. And at the same time, you know, what are the tax incentives out there? Uh, so depending on you know, your role in your company, you know, if you're an accountant, we're going to have plenty of stuff for accountants. If you're a director of operations, if you're engineering, if you're a procurement manager, president, CEO, it doesn't matter who you are, sales, we're going to have plenty for uh, every discipline in our manufacturing community. So, you know, we're really excited about it. Um, it continues to grow. It's, uh, I, I think it's as close to world class as I've seen, and uh, it's getting better and better every year. And it's only because of the team that we have uh, developed. We have a committee of uh, 16 champions hmm. that have been working on this now for uh, about six months. Wow. And they meet on a regular basis, and uh, it's it's just really fun to watch and to be part of. Yeah. Now, are are any of those students? Yeah. Great. Yeah, we have students involved. I, I love how you guys are in integrating the students and everything. I I think that's such a smart move, and it's got to be invigorating, and it's just it's, that's fantastic. The interesting part of that is that each each sector of the education high school, community college, and university has an allotment of scholarships. 
And so we want to bring them there mm. for a couple of reasons. One is they, they get to mingle with manufacturers, and manufacturers are, are constantly look, looking for an employees. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, it's like, like uh, uh, what are the Reese cups, uh, bringing, bringing peanut butter and chocolate together. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's, uh, that's, so you're making a Reese's cup with that. But it's, you know, it, it's it, you have an, you have a, a good representation of students, a good representation of nonprofit government, and then a, hopefully a larger uh, representation of, of industry. And and that the industry side of it is the one that's been growing. Uh-huh. Uh, the other ones have have wanted to be a part of that, uh, and uh, and and have grown. But you know, one of the problems with manufacturing. Um, at just about everywhere is the the perception that it's grimy it's not a good place to to work and so being bringing the students in uh, on all levels to see to show them what manufacturing is and that there's pretty good money in it mm-hmm. uh, and that the more the more training you get the more money you have the the possibility and so you know you have this pathway mm-hmm. and so if you just decide that after high school you're going to go to work you know you're going to get a certain wage and then after a while, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go to community college, get a certificate in this or certificate in that. Your wages go up just a little higher. And then maybe you want to go to the university. Maybe you want to go to a graduate school. And the more you get training and educated, the higher your, your wages are. And that's the other thing that from a community college and high school basis, uh, one of the frustrations with, I think, a, a lot of the manufacturers has been that you have counselors in, in the in high school and community colleges that are that are just simply looking at college. Okay, where can, mm-hmm. where can we get you in college? And they're not showing them uh, the the wage levels and what kind of business that they can go into, and that they don't have to go to college right away. Maybe right. they maybe they can go into this industry and, and then work their way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, in a lot of cases, manufacturing has been overlooked by the counselors, and hopefully that's going to change. Yeah, it needs to change. You know, I just, I, I kept an eye, I, I looked back at the time, and I couldn't believe we we're coming up close to the end of our discussion. Um, I, I wanted to give you both an opportunity if there was anything that you wanted to talk about that we missed before we wrap things up. But did I, was there any questions you wish I would have asked today? Um, maybe a couple of things that we've accomplished that, you know, we haven't touched on that Perfect. we're pretty proud of. Love to hear it. Um, you know, uh, internships uh, with workforce development boards and colleges and high schools and community colleges, you know, they, there's folks that have tried and tried and tried and really never been truly successful. And so, what Mike was just talking about, Mike D, was really that next generation pipeline of talent. And how are we going to attract that pipeline of talent to manufacturing? So our uh, SJVMA just became the first uh, location for the Central Valley, the eight county locations, for the Dream It, Do It program underneath the umbrella of National National American Manufacturers Association, NAM. And they have a, a, a group underneath them called the Manufacturing Alliance. And um, anyway, our uh, SJVMA is the, uh, the, the voice for the Dream It, Do It program at NAM in California. We're getting ready to roll that out. And really what that is, it's Manufacturing Day on steroids. A lot of our uh, listeners are familiar with Manufacturing Day. Mm-hmm. We went from zero 
Manufacturing Day tours uh, three years ago to uh, six our first year to 12 our second to 23 last year. And we're going to double it again this year. And that's where students from our high schools and our community colleges actually come out and tour the manufacturing companies. The Dream It Do It program, it has literature, has a video competition with the students. Um, we have ambassador program with young students that actually go into the schools that you know are also passionate about manufacturing. So students hearing from other students, hearing about their internships that they've landed and that type of thing. We have started the first of its kind with the Workforce Development Board where we had a paid internship with uh, workers' comp benefits uh, mm. available for students uh, that had to go through a rigorous testing process, you know, drug exam, work keys test uh, with a four uh, or better uh, a rate of uh, accomplishment, hmm. and uh, employer interviews to actually land the 75-hour internship. And the really remarkable thing that just I think is so amazing, they had to come from a high school manufacturing program. They had to have experience in that program. And to get the internship, they had to commit to enter into our world-class Reedley College manufacturing program, which is on the NAM M list. And what that means is that program uh, offers uh, accredited certificates, NIMS, a, you, know, you name it, all the, the important manufacturing certificates mm -hmm. that manufacturers look at. Yeah, we look at the degree, they, they completed the course and everything, but did they you know, get the welding certificates right. that are you know, industry recognized? So that's uh, just something that I think we're really, really proud of. We, we didn't have a lot of students last year, but we're, uh, we're hoping to have uh, somewhere between 50 and 70 enter that program this year. So it's growing That's big great. time. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I'm glad, I'm glad I gave you a chance to give that. And, uh, and any other last uh, thoughts? And The only thing I want to say, or the only thing I have to say, is that you can find more about us at www.rici. Dot org, RICI, and on the RICI, that stands for Regional Industry Cluster Initiative, on that website, there is a manufacturing button, and that manufacturing button takes you to the, the Manufacturing Alliance and all the things that are happening, and like Mike had said, we are, we are in the process right now of upgrading that and developing. I've seen the prototype of it. It's, it's looking really good, and, and it's going to have more and more information on there. Uh, as a matter of fact, this podcast will be on there if you allow us. Absolutely. And you can also get to us quicker at the SJVMA at just sjvma.org as well. Okay. And where can people learn more about your, uh, your business and your milestone anniversary coming up? Yeah, so we were founded in 1868, so this is a, a pretty easy, uh, you know, just uh, bets at 18, uh, bets1868.com. Great. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think how old I was in 1868. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you both very much for uh, your being involved in the podcast today and all the work that you're doing to help manufacturers in the area and, and beyond. Uh, everything that you do is a model for others to emulate and learn from, so... I appreciate your uh, appreciate your participation, and uh, thank anybody. Uh, thank everybody for listening today. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Advocates podcast, manufacturingadvocates.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe.